John. What? <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm fine. Yeah. Rough week? Yeah. Yeah. Struggling with the, the allergies. Yeah, they've gotten really bad. The weather changing has, uh, has not been fun for me. We go from really dry, really hot, to we get a bunch of rain, and then really hot. Yep. So it's just kicking up every every everything I'm allergic to is just kicking up. So mm. I go through migraines and sinus pressure and all that. Fun stuff. Well, I've been. Um, I think I. I think I. What, did I talk about this last time? But I've been doing. I don't think I did. Some Einstein analytics. I'd never really gotten into it. I think. Mm. I mean, out of the two us, two of us, I think you were the only one who actually ever even used it. But I decided yeah. a few weeks ago I wanted to take the or I guess do a lot of the trailheads. Mm. Um, and then I thought, well, I might as well like go ahead and do the certification too. That would help. Um, but you know, there's so many interesting things. One, one, I'm still trying to figure out if if Einstein Analytics is you know dead man walking at this point. It's just so confusing. And and the, there's things that are a little concerning. Like one is um, that unless I'm just a dummy, which is a distinct possibility. Like a lot of the trails, you just can't do anymore. They don't work, or they refer to things that don't exist in Einstein anymore. They, they've changed the UI and renamed some things. Um, there's a couple things I was able to figure out because there's just another way to do it. Mm -hmm. But some of, the, some of them I just couldn't, couldn't complete. That's interesting. I know. And then um, also the, the actual, the official, the documentation uh, has got some kind of weird things that seem like they're just not maintaining the documentation completely. So... Yeah, I don't know. It 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 kind of points to, is is this a have they have they taken a lot of resources away from the the Einstein team Einstein Analytics? I should be specific to do other things. No, that or it's just the document the documentation teams behind. I mean, there's I actually have a list here. I'm gonna go over my list. I made a list of like also just weird Einstein things. Unless that's just super boring, but let's find out. Okay. Um, so first of all, there's just the, the thing that jumps out to me most is just the UI issues. Um, and, and, uh, and to be fair, a lot of these UI issues, I think are on the building side, mm -hmm. you know, creating, uh, dashboards and data sets and all these things. Um, <laughs> and, and it just like with Salesforce, like in Salesforce setup, it's, it's always the, um, the area that doesn't get the UI love. And it's like every different page you go to and set up looks like it's built by a different team, yeah. you know? And, and uh, so I don't know if it's, the, but anyway, um, so like, a but did you run into the, the case where if you tried to move something or interject something, you lost a bunch of your lines and then you lost a bunch of property mappings. Yeah. What was that? That was, that was Einstein, right? Yeah. That yeah. was the builder. Yeah. That, that's something that always happened to me and I, it just drove me crazy. Yeah. Um, but I'll, oh yeah, that's right. And then I, and there was um, it was also uh, analytics where I couldn't even get to the part of the UI of this dialogue that you entered the you had to enter a value in. Mm -hmm. And someone was like, oh yeah, you got to click in this like you got to know to click in this secret spot and then hit your scroll wheel and then it'll it'll the text will actually scroll into view. On yeah, the I remember dialogue. that we talked about that. So one. that's one thing. But then um, just the other day I saw like uh, there was a dialogue that came up and the buttons were rendered almost entirely outside of the dialogue. And that's just kind of a nit, but it was just still, it's, it's like, wow. Um, let's see. Selecting an item from a long piss. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's like, sometimes you're like selecting like fields or not fields. They're called, you know, what are they? Like the measures and whatever those are called. Measures. What are they? Measures, dates, and. Um, I don't remember. Anyway, 
Yeah. Basically fields. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes in these data sets, you get a lot of fields. And so you're scrolling down and you'll pick one. And then, but then when you, let's say you scroll all the way down to like shipping, the shipping address fields and you pick, okay, I want shipping city. And then you're like, okay, I want shipping state. But when you pick shipping city, it scrolls you all the way back to the top of that list of fields. No. And so then you have to scroll down to find it. So when you're, because oftentimes you are, you're kind of going in alphabetical order, like, like when mm-hmm. they all start with the same, like shipping like that. And it's just, it jumps out at you. It's like, oh, wow, this is not great. <laughs> um, the escape button doesn't close out of dialogues. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if Einstein at all is like ADA compliant or you can use your mouse. I, I can't, you can't escape out of dialogues. It, it, tabbing doesn't seem to work the way it should. Like you actually have to click the X and I, I don't ever click the X. I just hit escape on everything, you know? <laughs> Do you do that? Do you use escape to get out of dialogues? I use both, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm my mouse is already hovering over it, so I just click it, but um let's see. Different areas handle lists of objects different in terms of sorting, namespace, sorting, display, etc. I'm trying to understand what I mean by these. Just I guess just inconsistencies and in how, how again, it's like, wow, was it that a different team that did that? Or why don't these things work the same? <laughs> Um, I have a screenshot here. You can't see it, but some like, um, if you have a f- like field names that, for example, Matt start with a pretty decent size, like namespace, and then the double underscores, and then maybe an object name and then a field name or whatever. Like, I wish you could see this dialogue. I'm going to, I'm going to try to send this to everyone. Um, there's a thing called sharing, although I don't know what that would do to your system. Let me, I'll put it in live. Let me do this. Uh, but anyway, you, you can't actually, so you're having, you're having to pick fields from this and you can't actually see the field names because it doesn't, only the left, like 20 characters of the field names displayed and then it's just dots. Yeah. <laughs> so they, gotta, do, they do need to switch out the UI for all field selection because a combo box for the number of fields that, that we have in the system just does not work. Yeah. It's, it's really painful. Oh, yeah. Although the way Process Builder does it with that kind of search box is still a little bit painful as well. I mean, I, I like that concept and the way it works, but it still seems a bit awkward to use it that, the, way it's, the way it's built. I'm not sure what the right answer is for that. Yeah. Anyway, I will say, so for the, for the folks that have joined us live, I just noticed Christy just joined. Hi, Christy. Um, feel free to uh, unmute yourself and chime in whenever you want. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. So terminology. Uh, so here's a good one. What do you get when you click a lens? You get a new, you get a lens. What do you get when you click a data set? You get a lens. <laughs> that was just, it's. Just I seem not, to remember some weird things so, like that. Yeah. Um, and, the, and a data set builder actually builds a data flow. That sounds. And again, I'm just going through, yeah. I'm, I'm reading the, the terminology in the UI and. And when you're getting started, because I think once you get, like, I'm kind of over the learning curve hump at this point. So mm-hmm. I don't, you don't even read these things anymore. You just know where to go and things to click on. But when you're learning, that's when you really realize that these things are not named consistently. And right. the button that says do this actually does the other thing. Or it says it builds an A, but it builds a B. It's like, this right. is just weird. <laughs> I also noticed, like, when I was doing, when I was actually building, trying to get a bunch of data sets in, um, the jobs can get killed just for no reason, no explanation. It's like, oh, it's just, it'll say job killed. Okay, thank you. Uh, any reason? Yeah, I remember or, that. <laughs> I remember seeing that. Um, also, phantom double entries in jobs. Like, I was seeing my job show up twice. 
It's like, you know, like oftentimes you'll, you'll execute some data flow or recipe and then it'll, it'll give you a thing that says, oh, do you want to just go right to the monitor tab to see the job? Sure. Go to the tab. My job's in there twice. But if I hit refresh, it's gone. It's just in there once. Mm. <laughs> um, oh, we talked about the trails. I just had on here that many of the trails are obsolete to the point of not being completable. Um, yeah. Anyway, I've got a whole separate list of things on the doc that the documentation is just you, you can't do what the documentation is telling you to do. So I don't know. But that being said, once you get set up, um, it's pretty nice. You know, it's, it's good use of the what's it called? The D3 uh, JavaScript graphing <laughs> library. <laughs> good implementation of that. Um, partially the simpler chart JS implementations, but yeah. But I do. Um, so in this context, and we'll get to, we'll get to release notes here in a minute for everyone that's on that thought they were going to talk about release notes. <laughs> but I, I just randomly, I think I had this in my to read list. Um, not really noticing what it was about, but it turns out it was, it's, um, what is this called? The best software acquisition of all time was buying Tableau. This is on Cloud Wars. But let me go to what I highlighted. Because I'm still really caught up on, but do I do Einstein Analytics or Tableau? Um, I don't know. I think you still do Einstein Analytics. Well, so, so here's a recent, this is a recent quote from Benioff. He says, uh, and for those types of deals, that's very exciting because Tableau is analytics for the rest of us. So anytime I hear someone say that like the, for the rest of us, that means that not that elite group of people, it's us commoners. That's, it's for the, you know, anytime someone says that, something for the rest of us. But then does that imply that an Einstein analytics is not that? Exactly. It does. I, I think so. Let me, let me continue this quote because I think, I think it will reveal a little bit more. Okay. So he says, we were always in the analytics business, of course, either through sales cloud where we have dashboards and reports, which are great, but very much about a specific type of reporting. Or we had Einstein analytics, which is incredible, but it's super advanced AI, highly program programmatic and very enterprise class. That makes no sense. Well, I think he's separating that it's, it's, it's for super advanced elite people. It's not for the rest of us. I thought, I thought the situation was reversed. I assume Tableau is way more advanced and cause it had much longer no, runway. And a, I, I think I get what he's saying. Cause if, if, if I go back to crystal reports and business, it was a business intelligence or whatever Microsoft says, BI power BI power business BI. optics was a thing. I think Oracle bought them. A long yeah. Time ago. Yeah. Those tools had a, they were powerful, but they also had a very simplified point and click interface that, that would made it really accessible. I think if I compared that to the builder in, in analytics, those tools blow it away in terms of simplicity and accessibility. Hmm. They also have built in algorithms and things like that for a lot of different cases. Yeah. So you give it a data set and you can just say, hey, run this type of analytics on it or this type of statistic and analytics on it. And it, it'll have it built in. You don't have to do that yourself. So you mean it's like, like almost like vertical or use case specific? Like yeah. this? Well, I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't Salesforce have that, at least for like things like sales cloud? And well, I think that was the intent. But I mean, they obviously got there faster with buying something like Tableau than building it from ground up yeah. in Einstein. And there's the there is like the sales cloud Einstein, and but I don't even know what those are, honestly. And I wonder if that's somewhat of a detriment to Salesforce in that in that they have to. I mean, we've talked about this before. They they always have to keep growing and growing fast and show these big numbers yeah. and well, make the big splash with the acquisitions. But that 
comes at a cost of home growing things and building it from the ground up and really kind of putting your mark on it. I guess so. And, and of course, back to the title of this article, this was the best software acquisition of all time. The main thing they needed from Tableau was the revenue. <laughs> I think <laughs> just the revenue helps. Okay. Um, what does he say? Okay, here we go. Uh, but Tableau has a capability that allows every company to deploy analytics easily. It's easy, John. It's a simple, easy to use, and easy to understand product. I'm sure a lot of you use it. Plus, you can build these amazing visualizations. Plus, it has this incredible culture, this brand, this community. That's true. I mean, again, it goes back to not having to do it all from scratch. They've got a ready-made community that, that's able to support people. It's got ready-made, very accessible tools that, that people, a lot of people already know how to use, or it's accessible enough that they can just pick it up. I guess so. Versus having to build that from ground up in Einstein in the analyt, uh, Einstein analytics. Such a mouthful. I actually think it's technically just called Analytics Cloud now, but I'm not completely sure. Mm. But yeah, this this really surprised me. I didn't know they were positioning Tableau as like the the easy, simple tool, and Einstein Analytics is more of the. Let me let me go back to the quote: super advanced AI. Now, I've been using Einstein Analytics for a couple of weeks now, and I have yet to stumble upon the super anything AI. approaching an AI or machine learning or anything. So well, I it's a shame that it gets lumped in with Einstein because it does imply some sense of machine learning, which I don't think that tooling's there, is it? I don't know. There is Einstein Discovery, which I'm yet to check out, but I want, but I want to. But I even think it's mainly just basic statistical inference so mm -hmm. but i don't know i mean obviously i don't know what's under the hood on it and how they're how they're doing things right maybe, maybe i mean if there's going to be ai or machine learning it's it makes sense that it would be in the prediction side of the house but that's a separate license um and i'm not even into that yet apparently it, uh, so i think einstein dis not what i call it discovery no not discovery what's it called is it discovery that's what you said yeah i think that's what it's called um it uses your, so you have to have Einstein Analytics because I believe it uses your Einstein Analytics data. That's what it feeds off of. Mm. Whereas there's, are you familiar with this thing, Prediction Builder? No. Yeah. So I don't think. It, I mean, I think I read about it a while ago, but I haven't yeah, done so it. I don't think it. you have to have Einstein Analytics for it. I think it, I think it can feed directly off of your Salesforce data or something. I don't know. Mm. Anyway. Uh, so, okay. So there's a second part of this. Does anyone else want to chime in on what we're saying at this point? I'll just pause for a second. Okay. Uh, okay. So, oh, he talks about PwC. I guess that's Price Waterhouse Cooper. Um, PwC was one of our largest deals in the quarter, but it's also what PwC says. Tableau is going to be our new analytics platform. And so many conversations with so many companies who have made the decision that now, or sorry, that now that Tableau is part of Salesforce, they see how this has become part of our customer 360. And there's a lot of new innovation and a lot of exciting stuff coming for Tableau. And you'll see that with, their, with the incredible announcements that are coming. Again, at this point, I'm thinking, why am I wasting my time on Einstein Analytics? It does not sound like that's, it has a, a bright future. Well, sure it does. I think it's, it's built into the tool. Doesn't, and I okay. think more and more reporting will probably move to it for certain aspects of it. And if you get... Uh, shield a lot of the tooling for monitoring and stuff is built on top of that so you i don't know if they've changed okay. this but for the clients that i have implemented shield for they technically got licenses to einstein or got access to it but they had to like sign 
a contract saying we're only going to use it for monitoring stuff. We're not going to use it for this because they couldn't really separate how you used it, but they needed you to have that tooling. I love those honor system limits. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was Einstein stuff to, to consume the monitoring and stuff for that. If you wanted to do it inside Salesforce, obviously you had all the API hooks and everything if you wanted to hook it up to some external monitoring system. But by default, if you were just to monitor your, your stuff, your shield stuff within Salesforce, you would use the Einstein tooling. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is, you know, fairly baked in and there's things that depend on Einstein analytics. And I think like the new like sales analytics and service analytics, they're all built on top of that as well. So what, how do we interpret this then? Is, is it just that uh, we have to justify this Tableau purchase as more than just buying revenue? You know, it, it, they have to really sell it up as, you know, you know, convince the market and investors that, hey, there's a, you know, we didn't buy this just because we needed the revenue. We bought it because it's this amazing thing and it and it's it's a yin and yang to the to einstein analytics like they you need two different analytics tools and there's some justification for that i think there's a justification for it i mean it's it's probably a tool that has way more connectors than than einstein has i mean i think there's a fair amount of csv uploading or get a tool a middleware tool anyways and tableau might have all that already figured out so that would be a plus on it and I don't think Einstein analytics in itself is a waste because they can just do what they're doing today, which is folding it into their current tool set and just making it more and more available. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I'm sure you're right, again, because Tableau's been around much longer, right? But I'm sure they have a lot of connectors because they were, you know, platform independent. They didn't, right. they don't care what your data source is. Whereas, no. you know, Einstein analytics, it's, it's built on Salesforce. So obviously Salesforce, your Salesforce data is kind of a first class connector. Um, I, so speaking of the, like just the idea of like, are they, are they going to continue to invest in Einstein analytics? It, it does seem like they've added quite a few new connectors, like I guess the native connectors so that you don't have to build, mm. use the, whatever the API is. Um, if you want to like manually bring in data or like there's an API to, if you want to write some integration that manually connects, you know, your, S3, some data in some S3 bucket to Salesforce. Like, that's just an example because I, I think they've had the S3 one for a while. But I, I saw I, what I thought were several new um, connectors. So they're, I mean, there's. I don't see why like they wouldn't build it out. I, I, I just, mean, I think they serve two, they can serve two different purposes if they were to transition one to be more Salesforce specific and as, as a tool and keep the other one as more of a system agnostic type option you know and i should probably look in this um so we have access as a partner to all these like partner um the partner community or whatever it's called with all the yeah the partner the, um, portal the chatter groups and all yeah. those things i mean because that that's one of the big issues i face is just you know I, how do i explain this dilemma to clients because they, you know, they want answers, just like we all want answers. You leave that to the AE. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Whatever they want to, you know what, it's whatever they're being spent. I think currently it's like, you know, I, I don't know. There's like, you know, you know, there's different promotions. So they might get th three times the commission on a certain li type of license versus something else. Yeah, you didn't see that big exam. header when you log into the partner portals. Don't step on your AE's toes <laughs> yeah, well, during the sales process. <laughs> that's, that's just a given. That's just a given. Um, anyway, and then he mentions MuleSoft. Um he says, we're two years in with MuleSoft, and it's another company that's been a game changer for us because it's the heart and soul of Customer 360, which I actually somewhat believe that. Uh, the ability to say to customers with, because we actually, that was one of the questions early on, is this like powered by MuleSoft? Or like, what's the deal with Customer 360? But I guess it is. Um, the ability to say to customers with the authenticity that we, as opposed to the things you say without authenticity, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's like when someone tells you, believe me, 
or whatever that you you would say. I really mean it this time. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, we're going to integrate everything for you. Again, hang on, John. This is with all authenticity. Quote, we're going to integrate everything for you and bring in all your legacy systems and put APIs on top of them and give you this tremendous capability. Uh, Then last thing is, these two companies together are a huge accelerator on our business. So he's talking about Tableau and MuleSoft. Again, I, can see just, that. I just, yeah, I don't know. I feel like Einstein analytics is being kind of written out of the story at this point. I, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, I think, I think those two tools and those two acquisitions definitely overshadow Einstein. But I think Einstein analytics specifically has a future being folded into the current tool set, maybe becoming the next advanced reporting engine and, and supporting everything that and from that perspective. All right. Um, <clears throat> maybe I, even feeding all the machine learning stuff as well. Yeah. So anyone else that's on right now, do, does anyone have any experience with either of these or, or have you faced this dilemma? Are you guys like looking at, and maybe you've, you, maybe you've got hindsight analytics and you're now looking at Tableau with, you know, is the, is the grass a little bit greener over there on the Tableau side of the fence, you know, and <laughs> I, I don't know. I just wonder what people are thinking. I haven't used either, so I have no opinion. No opinion. I'm still trying to figure out how to spell Tableau. It's the E-A-U? Yeah, it's the it's just the French style. <laughs> I guess if it was the Cajun style, you'd put the X on the end. Where did the X come from? What's that all about? The X? Yeah. On what? Uh, never mind. That's oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, some, someone understood what I was talking about. Well, do you want to switch over to release notes? Yeah, although I hope, I hope people have more input on release notes because I've only got like a couple of... Couple I have things. a bunch. Um, okay, good. I, I kind of highlighted ones that I thought were really exciting to me. They might not be exciting to other people. For all things considered, this release note was actually pretty small comparatively didn't have a lot going on in it to be honest you know i kind of feel that way too when i it, it every time there's release notes because i kind of look through and i just i don't know i don't i don't ever have time to read the whole thing i know some people do but um well i did skip over a lot of the industry stuff and i noticed that the EDA stuff isn't in is that just completely separate because it's dot org i think so i mean it's and it's it's also just, it's a it's a package and i know some of these things and well so is their other industry uh, stuff uh, yeah the financial services one is in there, and it's a package, and field service is a package. and Yeah. Um, I don't know. HEDA has always been just an open source project that lives out on GitHub. So maybe that's, I, I don't know. And also, when you, anytime you, if you start, if you bring that into the whole release notes process, that means you, you're now locked into Salesforce's release cadence. And, and they may not want to be, it may not make sense for them to do that. And I don't, they don't sell, oh, another big thing. All those things you mentioned, they sell and make money on. He do they don't. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, follow the money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did you post a link to the, um, you did. I know you did. I just got to find it, John, to the, release, to the release notes. There it is. All right. You can Google it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Are you about to do your homework on the fly? <laughs> yeah, that's the only way to do it, John. <laughs> I'm the guy, you know, Right, right before I walk in class, you know, f- fervently, furiously, I don't know, scratching a paper together to turn in. I, I was that, that, that person, too. I, I, I convinced myself that I did my best work when I was under pressure. So I allowed myself to, to do it last minute, thinking that I was, I was being awesome. But really, I was just 
I don't know, procrastinating. How did that work out for you? I did really well. I, I, I can, I can write an essay pretty well. I'm really good at it, but, um, I certainly put myself through undue stress. Yeah, I, I did. But then you do well, you procrastinate and you do well in it. Like it's its own negative reinforcement. It cycle. does. It reinforces, it did re- reinforce the behavior quite a bit. Um, well in high school, <laughs> because I changed high schools, like I had four high schools. Um, and we always had to do a research paper in every year of my high school year. And so I always picked Alexander Graham Bell. And since I went to a different school each time, I could always kind of, I never stole my paper and just re- resubmitted it, but I had all that background knowledge on it. So it made writing it really easy. So I kind of breezed through those essays in high school. Yeah, because that's totally the point of having me do the <laughs> I honed my process through repetition. Oh, there you go. That was your first experience with iterating. Mm-hmm. Iterating. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was agile. Well, so one thing I was looking forward to was uh, you could do, and maybe, I thought I saw that they took this out. I could be wrong, but uh, you could do, they added the ability to do lookups to opportunity products, which is, I think, one of those things you never could do a lookup to because it's such a, you know, it's one of these weird special objects. But I think I saw that that got removed. So maybe that, maybe that'll be coming in the, whatever's after winter, spring, maybe. Did you hear about that? I think I read a little bit about it, but then I saw it was removed and then I, said i got other things to try to catch up on so i kind of glossed over it but yeah i remember something like that i mean it's just it's really useful in some cases to be able to look up to an opportunity product and it's just always been one of those limitations it's just like nope can't do it you gotta find some it would be useful to look up to anything i mean a task event i mean all that stuff is things i would like to look up to you can't do lookups to tasks and events Mm -mm. what Mm -mm. wow I've had to create custom fields and just store their ID and then have code that would know how to read that and yeah. do what you do with it. That's bizarre. Yeah. Is that because they're polymorphic? Maybe. I guess. I don't understand the reasoning. I mean, it has an ID. You can look up to it. I don't understand the reasoning. Yeah. And if they give you a choice, like, hey, we can make this task and event thing like a polymorphic type of thing, but you'll lose the ability to do these things like look up to them and whatever the other limitations are. Would do you think most people would, what would, what would they pick? Yeah, keep it polymorphic so I can have a, oh, I don't know, even, uh, are they polymorphic actually? I don't think they are technically. But there is some. I think there is some semblance to it. And I think it's a decision point. Like if Salesforce could go back in time, they probably wouldn't implement that. I don't think they've implemented any new polymorphic fields at all. Oh, yeah, they have. I can't like, name like any right what? now, but I've, I can't name any. But I've, I swear I've seen, I've seen some. Mm. You know what? So task events, they're not, they're not polymorphic. I do feel like there's like strong evidence that there's like a, almost like the notion of a base class that underlies both of them. But they both use polymorphic fields extensively. Mm-hmm. Like the who, they've got like the who and the what, right? Right. So maybe that causes issues that are difficult for Salesforce to work around. Well, that, and there's also the kind of auto-archiving feature as well. Oh, of tasks. Mm. Yeah. I don't know how that impacts indexing and all that kind of stuff. Right, that would be a problem. Because it's, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Jay, I hear hear some, like, glass jingling, or uh, some ice jingling around in a glass, and I see Jay, so. Yeah, because, you know, (laughs) I need to pour a drink. (laughs) Are we that bad to listen to? (laughs) <laughs> need a pour a drink. Yeah. I did I notice that this had, while it didn't have a lot of things, it was kind of a small, relatively speaking, there was a lot of beta stuff in this. 
there's a lot of stuff that's in pilot, a lot of stuff that's in beta. Just it felt like we were getting teased with this one on a lot of things. Well, uh, the beta stuff you can you can use, right? Yeah, but do you want to use it? Well, that's a question. I mean, do you want to put it in production? Say, hey, we've got this. It's beta. Yeah, because I mean, I think if you're if you own the org, you're the admin of the org, and you're like, oh, we can try to use this. It's beta. We understand that we can do that. But as an implementation partner, where you're kind of had this set project time frame, and they either you may or may not have something lined up afterwards. There's really no chance for you to kind of go back and revisit it. It kind of feels like you're kind of saying here. We tried this experiment. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> no. You you do that with the client's understanding and permission and permission, you know. Oh, you remember when uh uh we had a I think I've told the story before, but we had this class that could actually that could read or download um CSV data from a report. It was technically a hack because there's no there was no underlying API for it, but if you yeah. if you did certain things, you could get access to the to the CSV data and we had our developer at the time had put a note in there saying this is this is an undocumented feature and use at your own risk type stuff. And the client actually reviewed the code, saw that, and said, "Yeah, we don't want to do this." And they backed the they backed it out. I remember that. That was like fifteen years ago. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago. And that and that's I think that still works actually. So their loss. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what I'm noticing because I also was just doing my homework while you were talking about Einstein and Tableau. Um, a lot of these say up like I was looking at the flow ones. It says update postponed. So it seems like they were going to like auto activate some things, but now there's like six things on this page that have been postponed. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know if that's a uh, an issue of because a lot of them were critical updates that they were that they've been planning to. God, I got this massive hair on me that they were planning to release, but you, then they from your girlfriend. They, no, I don't know. Don't say that. My wife listens. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. She did find I'll, her own hair in my I'll, car one time and was like, what is this? I'm like, that's your hair. I'll, uh, no, I'll, it's not. I'll fix it in post, John. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, I did notice that. And <laughs> I don't know if that's a function of the fact that we're still kind of going through this COVID thing and maybe resources aren't there to do a lot of testing and clients or, or their customers, are, us, are asking for more time to test these out. Because there's some things that are... You kind of do have to be careful of the. Um, they're supposed to finally deprecate all the double dash CSS styling for the design system. Oh, I saw something in there about BIM. Was that it? Yeah. Okay. What are they going to? They're just using underscores. They 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 announced that like a couple of years ago that they were going to switch the the syntax styling. Um, but if you have older components that are still using that styling, I think it's going to start looking weird. Hmm. Oh man, that's that's a bummer. It is. <laughs> I thought they weren't supposed to do that, like break break your existing deploy stuff. Yeah, I don't. Well, that's kind of a hard thing to do because there's no versioning. You can't say I'm targeting this version of the design system because you can't have multiple design systems running on the page at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Maybe you could with some kind of tricky shadow DOM and and namespacing hierarchy isolation, but that seems too crazy. Is BIM not cool anymore, or what? No, the double dash syntax um, is not allowed in XML, and I think that's how a lot of the metadata is stored. Well, I know it's how it's stored. That's how the metadata is stored, so it's it's not something. Um, oh, are they like actual like maybe XML element names or something? I guess um, that's weird. Underscores. No, like double dash. Double dash. Double dash. Double that's, hyphen. Oh, yeah. Actually, 
Oh, interesting. Double dash is in an XML like attribute or element name. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't think I've ever tried that. I don't know why any sane person would. Unless they were trying to encode their BIM styles as XML, which, why in the hell would you do that? Well, because this is all metadata, <laughs> and all the metadata is XML, so there's your yeah. answer. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm glad it's not my job. Yeah. Your job, dear engineer, is to encode all of our CSS styles as XML. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, do we want to do we want to just kind of keep going down our own list, or do we want to try to take turns? I mean, does anybody? I think we should take turns because I don't think we did a good job of taking turns last time, and we're we're we, I don't think I don't know if we're much better this time. So let's uh, let's go. I heard around there's there. a raise your hand feature in Zoom. Is that something we can try to use? Uh, we I mean we all there's not that many people on this call, so I don't think it's that. Oh, there we go, Christy. Okay, go Christy. <laughs> <laughs> I like to follow the rules. Um, so I live in communities and um, I, not too much super sexy community stuff going on, but um, it looks like more granularity with audiences, which is interesting, except uh, as far as I know, audiences are still not deployable. So that's kind of what I'd rather uh, tackle if anyone had asked me, but um one cool thing, you can um, now child and grandchild pages up to six levels. So um, right now the navigation menu is kind of static. So it looks like you can, unless you're using like topics. So now it looks like you can stack some pages, which will be nice. Yeah, so you can almost build like a kind of a hierarchy of pages. I actually saw that because one of we had a our company we did like a the 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 obligatory. This is our highlight of Salesforce's release notes for clickbait and SEO purposes, you know, <laughs> uh, post. And uh, one of our consultants, I think it was Nicole, uh, she had that as one of her favorite things. Um, as uh, does it have anything to do with breadcrumbs? I know, like you get you can like have like hierarchical URLs now. Um, is there any like breadcrumb support that's that's part of that? That is a wonderful question that is not illustrated exactly in this um, screenshot, but I'm curious about it. But it basically forms the URL as slash parent page slash child page slash grandchild page. So you're at least getting some nesting visually in the URL. Yes. And that also, speaking of SEO, that type of stuff typically helps with SEO too. When you can have good, first of all, just good names for your in your URL, but also have them like, hierarchical. Uh-huh. Um, someone tell me, you still so often see Salesforce communities that have, they just start up like the slash S. Remind me what that, why that is. Uh, just to make my life hard, I think. Uh, no, I think it's something to do with sites. Uh-huh. Um, like when you make a community, it actually makes a site. And that's as technical as I'm going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do have to use that. And I, I, like, if I'm trying to use a static resource using that, I still have to use the S S as part of the URL. Really? Yeah. That's like, ends up being like the root. Like, you know how you can, you infer the root just by having nothing in front of it. And then you have your, you start talking about whatever's left uh, after the root. But S is like the first thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a fairly big company that I want to name that their, their support portal, which is quite big and has a lot of functionality. You could tell it's built on Salesforce because at some point it's like their company name dot force.com still. They didn't do a good job of 
of that. But also, it's got yeah, the slash the, S thing. I'm like, oh, there's that. There's a good old slash S. <laughs> well, yeah, the custom domain. It's interesting because so custom domains help with that because then you can set a home that isn't got the slash S. But then, of course, if I have global components, I have regional communities, some of which have custom domains and some don't. So you get into a fun, like, why doesn't this link work? Oh, because there's a slash S when I don't need one or I do need one. Or like I didn't put in the community name, but I do need the community name because it's not a custom domain. So, Yeah, man, communities. So many edge cases and just, frankly, bugs around communities. I mean, the story around has gotten a lot better than it used to be, but deploying is still a big issue. It's, it is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, I don't deploy my communities after the, the main first build because yeah. there's so many, like, I have to update my component references and my, like, media references, my images. Um, I have to update them to their, like, production counterparts. And so if I over, it's like, six of one half and edits of the other if I have to just manually redo my work. Um, I mean, I would hope new pages being deployable would become a thing, but yeah. The the last big community project that I worked on, we had in order to be able to have some kind of automated deployments, we actually stored the metadata with all these placeholders in them. And then the build process, depending on, what, depending on which environment you were building or were deploying to, would go in and do all this uh, filtering and replacement mm-hmm. because there were just things that had to be hard coded for that certain instance that yeah. you're deploying to. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. Well, and you don't have custom domains and sandboxes either. So you're testing a community, but again, with that kind of URL pattern concept, some of them are different. So. Yeah. That's why there uh, is a, there's another critical update where they're changing the domain for lightning and static resource access, I think, which if you're doing a lot of custom stuff and you're loading your own JavaScript from those static resources, I think that's where it might impact it. Maybe, maybe not, but it's supposed to switch the domain from the lightning domain to the visual force domain when you're accessing those, those, uh, those elements. Hmm. Interesting. We use them mostly for image reference, but for, yeah. for static resources, but have you have you guys explored using the asset library for that? Because I've I've kind of been wondering because I know there's some updates to that too. If if I should be putting things in asset instead of static resource? Uh, no, that's interesting. I use documents more. I haven't really looked at assets. Um, we have we built a component where I can basically put a document URL in, and it displays my image with a desktop, mobile, and tablet alternative option yeah we did that too mainly because we i we wanted users to be able to manage some of that content so we, <laughs> we told them here put this file in this document with this, no, the, with this honestly, specific that's, name that's part of the reason is go to this document record you can upload a new version mm-hmm. as long as you copy the url without that last mod piece that at least puts it in the user's hands i, I don't know i feel like Maybe it's just my own circle of hell with um, communities, but then you've also got translations and we've got custom components that then are using custom labels. So we've got translations in like 14 places, which 
Um, I guess I was just looking at there's going to be some optimizations with the release with translation imports. So maybe I need to play more with translation import export. Um, yeah. But yeah. But again, part of that is trying to put it in the hands of the translator or the marketing person so I don't have to change every image every time. Did you ever, did you ever solve page. that problem of uh, uh, unauthenticated users getting the correct translation? Um, I believe the specific instance, um, we had to change the default language of the community which, to be fair, probably should have been Spanish outright. But when you create a new community, I don't know if it's based on the user or the org, but either way, they're set to English US. So we definitely have, um, like, I've updated and forgotten that I'm not updating the primary page. And then the Korean user or the Spanish user is like, I don't see the new image. And I'm like, because I forgot to put it on there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's an interesting... Well, I, and I'm wondering because I don't know the answer to this. I think I think we were discussing this, but if you if an unauthenticated user visits a a, a, a site, a Salesforce, are they still called sites, um, or like a community, like an unauthenticated community page, does Salesforce use the? Um, the I think the browser sends a a language header. Oh right? yes, okay. so I think what you're asking about was a when we were going to be. Um, uh, we had a site switch, and so they were going to get the maintenance page, which, again, is like a guest user or has no context. So, therefore, we were curious if it was translated, and my understanding is it was. Oh. Um, because, like you say, I think when you pull up, your browser has a default country language combination that it tries to use. Yep. Interesting. All right. Well, let's move on to the next. Uh, who wants to go next? That Hello, was... Daniel here. Hey, Daniel. Um, I thought I'd announce who I was because I'm listening to previous episodes. People would come in and you're like, okay, whose voice is that? Actually, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because <laughs> we, we don't know how much identification people want. So feel free to say your first name or your first name and your last name, whatever, you know, your Twitter handle, whatever whatever it is that you want to share. Yep. Oh, yep. Daniel Ballinger, Fish of Prey on Twitter. That's probably enough. And my accent will probably make me identifiable <laughs> from now on. Um so one of the things I looked at the release notes, which I was quite keen on, was the new request methods in Apex. Mm. So you can pull out the request ID and the quiddity. Now, the quiddity has a fun name, and everybody gets really focused on that, mm -hmm. and it is good. But I quite think the request ID is probably the more useful immediately of the two. What is So, uh, so what kind of request are we talking about here? Well, any request, basically. Any transaction that runs on Salesforce will have an oh. underlying transaction identifier or right. request ID. It's, I think it's like 20, 22 random characters. Well, not random. They've assigned it. But the important part about it is it, it aligns across all sorts of things. So your Apex debug log has a column which identifies the, this ID. Change data capture identifies the ID. Transaction finalizers can get it. Um, what else? Event monitoring sees that ID. So if you ever wanted to bring all the parts of logging and that together for what you're doing, or like, and now that it's an apex, if you have an error, you can tell the user well, there was an error in this transaction. 
and like, I don't know if you've ever been in a really busy org and the admin's like, oh, something's broken. And you go, okay, I'll capture the log. And you capture the log for the admin. And it turns out all the batch processes run as the admin. And there's like 2,000 debug logs in a minute for that admin. It's like, okay, how do I find the right one? Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Well, in, in, in like distributed tr logging and tracing um, and, and I don't know, other systems, I don't know what to call it non-Salesforce things. Yeah, you, you typically will have some kind of, um, uh, we call it like a correlation ID, really, because you might have traces all from all different kinds of systems, and you need some kind of identifier that you can correlate the all these different trace, you know, entries to put together a, you know, a, a transaction that flowed through many different systems that each of them did their own logging and tracing, right? So I guess that's what this would be used for. And what is Quiddity? I, I, Quiddity is, I, think, I believe it comes from like philosophy or something, the term, but basically means what type is the transaction. Now, we used to have that, and we still do have that information in the system class. You can go like, is batch or is um, future method. But this basically gives you the complete view of all the types of transaction that Apex could actually be running. And you did you did see this in the event monitoring. There was always that column. Um, I think it had like a single character identifier, but it says like, am I in bulk API? Am I in a future method? Am I in a queuable method? Is this a rest call? Um, is it a lightning? So it really gives you a much more fine grained view of what type of transaction you're running. And it's a enum enumeration so you can use it with switch statements to fit and then group them how you care yeah that's nice it's like when you're you know in some certain level of inception you have to kind of know which level of inception you're in at the like mm -hmm. am i in a future you know it's like that, right. that just sounds mm -hmm. weird but yeah <laughs> well a lot of times it, it's more it's it's a defense programming tactic because you can't you can't execute another future from a future so that's where i've used mm -hmm. it mostly so some some ways, this is just a nicer way of going through all those. I mean, the immediate changes, rather than going to all those system methods and going, is it system dot is batch? Is it system right. dot is future? You can write a switch statement. I mean, that's the immediate benefit. Um, but I think the other thing is long-term, they're thinking, well, maybe people will discover other useful things now that you've got the fine-grained information about what you're actually doing. Like, I think you can even tell if you're running test cases for a deploy through this. I mean, you've got to be mm -hmm. careful as well. You don't get carried away and it's like, oh, now I know all these things. I can make the code do all sorts of different paths. Well, that, that Yeah, that was, that was a danger faster. I immediately saw. <laughs> it still was, was start branching off. I'm like, I don't that, know if that's a good idea. <laughs> that's why I, I know there's some cases where you really kind of have to do like the is, was it is test or what is it? Test is running. I can't is running. remember. Or, um, It'll be like is future, is, is cube. Or, but any, anytime yeah, is you look at a code base and you see a lot of that stuff, it's it's, you know, you know that someone is creating, it's, it's a, definitely a smell. I think the immediate benefit for request ID and liquidity is to log it. And then if something weird starts happening and it's not easily reproducible, you can say, well, here in this transaction with this liquidity, it worked this way. And this one with that, it worked the other way. More for your information than you should go crazy with it. Yeah. Well, so that's that's the good news about Salesforce monitoring and logging. Should we talk about the bad news of monitoring and logging that we found out this week? 
as the Brandon Bar. Yeah, I mean, it's good on him for for keeping with support and doing the hard work to get the the um, no one issue raised. Do you want to explain what it is? So I'll try. So uh, so we all know about the is it the um, Apex exception email? Was that what this is related no. to? Okay, so you can right. Yes. So you know because you know if when things go wrong, you want to know about them and. It's re- that's really, to my knowledge, the only way to get a like a the closest thing to a like a, a an error log or a debug log that that persists, right? Because when you go into if you create what is successful called trace flags, I mean those those all what's the maximum time you can do this for a, a day or an hour or something like that? I think it's twenty four hour period. Yeah, and there's <clears throat> so so that that's always been problematic. Um, but at least you have the Apex exception email, which will always email you when stuff when bad stuff happens, right? Except we've discovered that it, it doesn't always email you. In fact, there's a limit on those, but it's not your org's limit. It's your pod's limit. Your pod has a limit. So if you have noisy neighbors, other orgs that are using up all the exception, Apex exception emails, then you can stop getting your Apex exception emails because your pod has hit its limit. Yeah, but I've always used those exceptions as kind of the edge case, like the really, really edge case, like. Like just a gack was thrown, and you just have there's nothing. It's, to catch it's any it. unhandled exception. Yeah. I mean, it could be a gack, could, could be programming your own programming logic of some sort, right? I mean, all kinds of reasons, and they're they're unexpected, which is why you're getting an email about it. But at least you could get the email to know bad stuff happen. Well, it's really a problem when you you don't know the bad stuffs happen. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because what do you do? It's like, was there an exception? I never I never knew, and. I, I was always knowing that, like, if you kept throwing the same exception, it would suspend it at some point because you don't need a thousand emails with the same exception. But that you're dealing with somebody else completely out of your control makes it quite difficult. Um, I think one thing about this is Chris Peterson and his team, they've sort of been moving towards these um, platform event type notifications for errors. Like, you see that with batches and cubables. And I suspect they're heading us in that direction as a way to address this long term is maybe like you obviously you can't start putting that on all transactions straight away. It's got a scale. But I think longer term we might be heading in that direction. You can subscribe to something. Yeah, and that <clears throat> I mean that that is a seems like a much better mechanism. And 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 also, I mean, the more that Salesforce keeps doubling down on this what originally was like the push topic streaming API, but now they're, they're funneling all kinds of things through that. And the, you know, this kind of, I guess, message queuing system they have for platform events and change data caption, all those sorts of things. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, well, first of all, that's a much better way to consume. Like I, I would think error events than you know, then, cause think about it. If I'm writing, um, let's say, you know, let's say I'm using one of the, the, blogging system, the kind of log analysis, every, whether it's like a, some open source thing, you know, like the ELK stack or something like Datadog or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, you know, you, it, you have to, those things have to ingest logs and errors and things. And I'd met, if I'm going to have to write some custom, you know, like a custom um, uh, ingest type of thing, I'd much rather consume like, write something that consumes a, a, um, you know, like an HTTP, what was it like the comet kind of long polling thing? Then I would, um, you know, something that reads and you know, c- c- you know, uses a pop or something to read emails from an from an email box. Um, that's you know, and especially considering that with uh, 
with the with that event, you know, delivery mechanism they have that, you know, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll hold the event for, I don't know, 20, is it 24 or 48 hours or whatever? So you've got, you know, you've got time if, you know, if you're down for a little bit or whatever. Um, but the fact that they're kind of, again, they're kind of doubling down and, and using that, that mechanism for more things means that they're going to just, they'll continue to, you know, work the kinks out of that. Cause there have been, I'm, I'm still scared of using that for integrations. I'm scared of missing messages, <laughs> which is why I still do what I call query based data capture. I'm not sure if that's my own term, if I read that somewhere, but I, I love it. <laughs> so you get a serious um, case of FOMO from your integrations. <laughs> not it's, it's, it's not FOMO. Um, honestly with, if I used change data capture, I would, that would give me FOMO. I'm fear of missing out on events that, that didn't get delivered because something weird happened i've heard just heard stories of events like disappearing forever um and then well, we're, we're, we're missing emails at the moment exception emails <laughs> <laughs> foamy fear of missing emails <laughs> get that one john <laughs> um oh, that's right we're supposed to be doing titles uh, yeah yeah um anyway no i just i think that mechanism will get better and better and one of these days i'll get over my trust issues and i'll, I'll use it more for integrations Actually, what I've what I've started doing is um, having like these integration routes. Um, having them, they can accept. They really don't. You can you know, obviously you can set up to like they don't really care where the event comes from and whether it comes from a you know your query based data capture or um, an actual like CDC kind of platform event type of thing. Um, because what I, what you need is I mean yeah the the you know real time or quasi real-time delivery of events is great but sometimes you just want the ability like what if you're just like yeah we turn the integration off for a week we need to like catch up on the past week well now i need to just i need to do queries and just feed this thing records from queries so you really need so i'm, I'm doing a lot of this nowadays where i the you can feed that data into the integration either way either query based change data capture or or through um, subscribing to the one of the uh, streaming topics as it related to that, there was something else in the winter 21 around platform events that you could suspend them and resume them either from where you left off or from the tip, which was quite nice. So like if you wanted to like run along with your platform event and say, oh, I need to do something big in bulk. So you turn off your platform event in config. Yes catch up to wherever you need to be and then tell it to, okay now resume sending me the platform events so i thought that was quite nice that is nice because but it's, honestly that's like the bane of integrations one of them anyway now, there's so many banes of integration um but one of them is like uh, we need to do a mass update to every company in the system and then you know then your integration is trying to push you know 82 million records to some other system which has an api that accepts one record per http request <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so then you're like, well, let's fire up the thread count <laughs> and hope this thing doesn't catch on fire. I mean, literally, that's like becomes a concern. So, yeah, um, yeah, the ability just to say, oh, let's just not deliver those events until we get this mass update done and then turn it back on. I mean, even that is still fraught with its own problems. Like maybe there were actually legitimate users in going in there and making changes to things. Then you're going to miss those. But right. I don't know. Uh, integrations. That's not interesting. That's a good thing. one, though. Actually, that's I. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just saying that's uh, from release notes. Back to release notes. That's a that's a good one. That's that that one is relevant to my interests. Yeah, that's an interesting thing with um, AWS and Redshift. I guess they have some integrations and it accepts bulk data, but it, it will if it encounters errors, it'll actually rerun the transactions 
doing one by one. It actually was reported as a an issue because of performance issues. They kind of almost turned it into like a feature. Like we're doing it because we want to discover where the error is at. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, Retro is, is I've used it a few times. It's pretty killer, man. It's um and and yeah, in ingest is one of the things. I mean, you can and that's a pretty flexible flow path there. That yeah, and it accepts. I mean, <clears throat> I've slammed it with insane amounts of data and it just i mean that's part of the job and you, you know because it's it's kind of a um, it's really a um it's really for analytics i mean mm-hmm. for the most part, it's that type of thing where or maybe more of a data where i mean i don't know it's like a i would say more data warehousing uh, yeah side, i mean yeah. it's just analytics i mean that's the that's the whole end point of most mm-hmm. data warehousing is, is analytics but you know the big challenge with the analytics or these data warehousing is is that whole el is it etl or elt nowadays i don't know there's actually it used to be all ETL, but now people are changing the direction of these, or the order of the letters, because I don't know better ways to do things. But anyway, that whole ETL thing—that was the, that was one of the biggest challenges—is just getting the data, extracting out of you know the operational systems, getting it into whatever shape you needed it into, and then getting it and then slamming it into your data warehouse as fast as you can, so that people have the most update analytics. But yeah, Redshift is—it's—it's uh, uh, it's pretty good. It's like I guess competitor big to BigQuery, which I'm sure also is. I've I've never used BigQuery, but yeah, I, I've I've worked with it. I've never like set it up and done a full project on it. So wants to go next. Let's see. Okay, I can go. Yeah, go for it, Jay. So a couple of things I like uh, the new releases. One is obviously the. Nalcheck on Apex. Oh, oh yeah, that's uh, uh, that new operator. Is it the? It's not. It's yeah. not an Elvis, is it? It's a uh, or is it an Elvis? No, no. It's just no, like a null safe navigation, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Mm, is so, it listed as beta or pilot? Um, I think it's listed as beta or pilot or something like that. No, I think it's all or nothing. I think it's the. Yeah. Yeah. Safe navigation operator. Oh, I'm gonna go refactor everything. My my uh, my Git logs are about to explode, Jeremy. <laughs> and go start replacing a bunch yeah. of stuff. So the, my biggest question is, you know, ninety nine percent of the programmers we worked with doesn't even know how to check for null. So how many of them are going to use it like this way, right? I bloat my code with null checking everywhere. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have so many is null and is blank functions, utility functions everywhere. So if you're going to have that type of defensive programming everywhere, I mean, at least having a nice syntax for it would. Yes, yeah. that's that's nice. I mean, that's you know definitely a welcome improvement. Is it wrong that probably my ninety percent of my motivation is um, code coverage because <laughs> I get that one line check instead of the double line check when I when you. Uh, Oh, that's true. It. Yeah, this is going to make it harder to get code coverage now. No, it'll make it easier because you get that one line. Unless it recognizes it and but it's only doesn't one continue. Line. But it's only one line now. It used to be, you know, three lines. Now it's one line. Oh, you're saying it'll have it'll have the... Yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> one really good use case for it is um, Sockle queries that you're only expecting to return a single record. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you used to go like, okay, bring it out into a list. Is the list empty? Now mm. I can get my single record. Well, now you just go question mark, give me the record and whatever I want from it. Oh, hopefully they implemented it that way that you don't, you they don't, did, they, did. they did. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, you got the, what was that exception you would get? Um, would you get a list, null list, reference? Con, list contain no, I yeah, don't know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's part of that magic of that assignment. 
I mean, I pretty, I pretty much have methods specifically for querying in cases where I need that. I do the assign it to a list, and if its list is empty, then return null. Otherwise, return whatever the value was. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's... So this it, will make that a lot... Well, does it make it easier? Because it doesn't. It only makes it easier if you're going to access a property on that object. Right. Right. Like, if you need to access multiple properties on that object, you're still kind of... You're still kind of screwed there. Yeah, that's not really. The, I mean, these cases you want to just get, you know, so you know, you know, you want to get the shipping state from an account, yeah. and so and you're just trying to get one value off of something. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think you know these these little sugary type things are they're nice, and I, honestly, I mean, they I'm not I'm no programming language expert, um, but they they should be a short putt. I mean, this is it really. It's a it's a surface level. It's a, it's a literally just a syntax thing that I would think would be um, low hanging fruit as far as you know. Back to Chris Peterson and, and his team. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I think in the scheme of things, prioritizing against all the bugs and everything else that they got to prioritize. I mean, sure, syntactical yeah. sugar's got to be low on the priority. Yeah. I still think we we really desperately. But need, look how excited we got over a question I mark mean, dot. I, I, I <laughs> listen. I didn't. I didn't. You know. I kept my panties on about it and everything, but no, you didn't. You <laughs> ripped them off and were waving around the. <laughs> Shh, John, you're not supposed to say that. Um, but we, you know, we really need more substantial things. Like one of the things that's, I mean, I won't even go on my my namespace rant because everyone knows that. But the another really big one though is um, some type of uh, if it's not lambdas, at least like anonymous classes, because <laughs> the. <laughs> Anonymous classes and lambdas, that's what paves the path to things like um, to more functional programming, like the, like when Java added the streams API, and I don't know what C Sharp and these other things call it, but um, just more functional styles of programming. You've got to, and even just even just basic, I mean, there's so much stuff you could even do just with anonymous classes. I mean, that's, I really hope they're working on that. Because, is it going to make you jealous to know that Flow is getting generics before us? Well, that's, you know, it's not jealous. It just, it's, I don't know what the word is. I mean, I'm not jealous. I'm just, I'm supremely frustrated. I'm just like, uh, you know. So Apex it's not technically really... getting generics, but it's it's a feature that's coming out. It's got, um, you can create components that are S-object-based without, so you don't have to have an underlying tied to a regular object. That's but if point. you look at the markup on the syntax, it's it's actually a generic syntax. You get the T get the T variable, stand in variable with that or an array. So it seems possible. Yeah. Yeah, generics. That, that's a, that's another big missing thing from Apex. I'd rather have generics more than anything. <sighs> that's tough. I mean we just we have a lot of needs. Does anybody else have something else? Yeah, we need to start. A, a, we should try to go fund me for that that team. Get these things done. <laughs> I mean, if, if what is Salesforce up to now? Forty billion dollars a year. And they're, now they're worth. They're on. They're in the um, hell. They're in the Dow Jones Industrial Index. Or they're worth two hundred billion dollars. What does it What does it take to get a couple of language features? Come on, guys. <laughs> but we will start a GoFundMe if that's what it takes. <laughs> All right. Well. I'm Cynthia, and I just wanted to mention the one for all well, its flows regarding flows, right? Improve the performance and precision of record triggered flows with entry criteria. So at least for my work, that will be 
very, very good in order for us to um, not all the cases will will be triggered by the um, auto launch flow. So it's not auto launch flow. That's the before save flow. So right now I don't have a very good performance, and I believe with this new feature we're gonna. Uh, see a very very improved on the performance. I'm not sure if you if you all saw that release notes and if it's impacting your org, but in my org will be very very good. Yeah, I saw that one. That one's that one's on my list. Uh, the other big one in terms of flows is the and or everywhere uh, release note because that whenever I was creating get records, I couldn't believe that I I could only do and filters. I couldn't do and or filters. So you ended up either breaking up your query or doing loops and things like that. I mean, that that's a big impact on performance. But yeah, the entry criteria, I think, makes it makes flow much more competitive with uh, Process Builder, which um, you know, we obviously know they're trying to phase out. Yeah, um, correct. For us developers, <laughs> I think it's going to be nice that we're going to get a, uh, a link in the error message, apparently, for the uh, flow builder that's causing the error. A link to what? <laughs> uh, it says locate a flow builder error with the click of a link. So apparently, in the in the error message, we should get a, a link that goes to the to the actual flow that's doing the error. So it'll make life a little bit easier. If you've ever had to read the release no, or not the, the the logs and try to find which flow is causing the the gag, I mean, well, I hope the gags report this. I'm not sure if it will. Um, we're also getting a delete uh, trigger, I think, with flows. I don't know if that's pilot or beta or GA, but that's coming as well. So now we have the before context, and then we have the after, and we have the delete. The before context, I'm not sure if that's changed, but I think the before is very minimal. Like, I don't think it includes, I don't think you can access formula fields and things like that from, from the before context, which kind of makes it difficult to use in certain scenarios. But I think, uh, is it also going to be a pilot? I'm not sure if anybody read this in the release notes that you're going to be able to do um, uh, dot notation syntax on your queries in flows. Like you're supposed to have access, or maybe not queries, but access to the the object that it passed in. So like I think in Process Builder, you can, you can do like, I don't know, contact.account.name, and you can use that in your, your process builder criteria, and I think that's coming to flows, is what I read. Yeah, that will be nice. Right now, you need to create a, like a, a get element and things like that, so now it's going to be um, easier. Yeah. Uh, they're also piloting uh, multi-column screens, so they're adding some more layout elements, so you can kind of create different layouts and things like that on flows. I saw that. <clears throat> What's the... It um, seems much overdue. Much yeah. overdue, yeah. yeah. Did we talk about um, what's this magic new form technology? What's it called? Do we talk about that yet? The rich text one? No. Um, help me out. Uh, auto? No, auto forms. What are they? Magic forms. Oh, the auto layout? Uh, no, no. Dynamic. Forms. Dynamic. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I, that's already out, isn't it? It's out, but there's like there's things about it in the release notes. Oh, they're probably just adding more things to it. It's a different license, I believe. It's a different license? And it, an add-on, if I am correct. But I could be wrong. 
I don't pay that. I heard something regarding. I'm sorry. I heard something regarding dynamic actions. So I'm not sure if that's what you mean. Lots of dynamic things going on here. <laughs> uh, yeah, as, as some of the things that caught my attention, um, I just kind of want to go through them really quick and you guys can jump in. But uh, I think this is more of an ISV thing. It's beta, but I think this will be really nice for ISVs or anyone who wants to try to attempt to create some kind of custom designer type thing. But you're, we're supposed to be able to get the ability to add custom buttons to the rich text editor. Um, along with that, there's a function to uh, replace by index within that um, within rich text as well. So that tells me that's kind of along the lines of being able to create some kind of button that injects some kind of curb custom merge field or something that you want to inject. And then through code, you can read that rich text, apply that method to say, hey, where's the index of this particular thing or whatever, and and then replace it with, you know, either markup or something else. I think that would be pretty cool. Okay, so I was incorrect. Dynamic forms is different than surveys, which is what I was thinking of. Um, I'm now really excited that Jeremy said this because dynamic forms are what I thought I was going to get in Lightning when Lightning came out, and I didn't. So basically, instead of using the record detail one massive component, the idea that, from what I'm understanding here, is dynamic forms are going GA, the idea is that you can have a like a mini lit page layout on a component that then you could put under tabs or you could do whatever. So you don't have to be dependent on a classic page layout or a quote unquote monolithic block of fields. Yeah. Yeah. I think you create little blocks of fields so you can do a block of fields and then maybe a custom component then the next block of fields from that record type stuff. And yeah, I think you can have like conditional logic like if. Yeah. Show the, this. If know, the, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's super smart. That'll be fun to troubleshoot, won't it? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> With Who great power you? comes Sit. some What comes are you trying to do? Record a video. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does it say anything about uh, standard objects? Because I've learned that dynamic forms were not available for standard ob objects. Ooh, good call. It is supported on record pages for custom objects only. Uh, that's weird. I don't even understand that. I don't either. Changes since the beta. Okay, so they enhance some stuff. Universally required fields move to their own section of palette. It's available. It's on for everyone in supported editions. Hmm. Uh, there wasn't much on the design system. Um, there, there is some things that I think I will make use of, which is um, the so the, a lot of the default styling for components. You're supposed to build. You you should be able to override the default styling. So if I wanted to brand um, a button. Um, I should be able to override the default styling for that button and basically say, okay, the primary color for this button is now green or whatever instead of the default Salesforce stuff. So I should be able to modify quite a bit of things. There's only a handful of components that are supporting those, those, but uh, I expect more of them to start opening up. There's that. What about, um, do we talk about the ability that you can now, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you, you can make Apex callouts after publishing platform events. Oh, cool. 
Yes, yeah, so they get their own separate limit um, on publishing immediate platform events, which means that they no longer count towards your TML. So you can do all sorts of things now that you couldn't before because you had to worry. Like if you wanted to use it for logging, well, you couldn't because if you logged something through a platform event, then you might not be able to do your DML call out. Right. Of a killer. Yeah. And I guess the platform event publishes, you have to choose the option to like publish immediately. It's not, it's not transactional at that point. It's right. It, it's not it, going to roll back. No, it's gone. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, there were some things on packaging. Um, nothing, nothing too exciting. Uh, I guess the CLI is getting a new kind of a uh, tree view for your versioning, which I, I, you kind of have with your pack. What is it? The package file? Is it the package.json file or whatever? Um, that that usually has a history. If you do it a certain way, like if you tell it to wait, it'll inject the ID for the new version for you. Otherwise, you have to add it in yourself into your kind of version history. But if you just wanted to get a list of all your versions and everything, you can see the hierarchy in the CLI. Versions of of what? Of your package, so you can see a tree of all your versions and the branches for that version. Okay. Or versions. Yeah. Sounds a little nice to have. Did we talk about the fact that you can now see um, in setup, you can see deleted fields in Lightning? <laughs> was it deleted fields or deleted objects? No, it's fields. Fields? Because you yeah. still have to go into Classic if you want to see deleted fields. You see that you're, they're, uh, speaking of deleted, uh, they're removing the search feature on Recycle Bin stuff? Um, no. So searching the Recycle Bin is going away? Yeah. Why, 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 did, why taking features away? I don't understand this. I'm assuming just they said it was for performance reasons, and the only thing I think of is they were having to index that stuff. And I mean, surely, like, but whether, I did use it. Surely, whether or not it's in the recycle bin or not is just like a flag on the record, right? I mean, how could it? Well, it is. It's, it's deleted. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so why is it? Why is it? Why is that such a tax on the search system? I have no idea. I don't know. Don't know. Yeah. Oh, the caching. Does anybody have an opinion on the caching? So they increase the timeout for client side caching. Caching increase the timeout. So I'm gonna yeah, have to. So this I'm is, gonna have to log out even more just to get a refresh <laughs> of the the record. So this I don't fully understand this, but apparently the way it works today is the caching expires every 15 minutes. So your whatever components or things you have on the screen, it's there for 15 minutes, and then and then it'll refresh it. Do you know how many bug reports I get from integrations? that people think it's not working, oh, but it's because it's they cannot there. get Lightning to show them the current record data. So uh, what if I told you the caching limit is now eight hours? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think the change is that the caching will exist for eight hours. There's still a 15-minute poll, so that hasn't changed. But I'm guessing that the poll, rather than just simply doing a flash at every 15 minutes of the component metadata the same cache, is it'll check to see what has changed and then and then merge the cache. There needs to be some kind of hotkey or something that's that just is a way to say, no, really, go to the database and get me the latest yeah. record data for this. Hard record. refresh. Yes. Yeah. Because a lot of times, I mean, even closing the browser completely and going back in doesn't work. You just you have to log out. Yeah. Well, I uh, it's that's a, like a dangerous thing because I, I you know people would spam it. If they had like a hard refresh no, button, just make they would it make it something, it. make it some like three or four finger combination that hardly anyone's going to remember. Crap out of it! I, well, I, what is it? Shift Command hey, if, R. I, if, I spam if you that all with day. your keyboard. If you with your keyboard and just refreshing one record can put any kind of stress on Salesforce's server, then we have a problem here. <laughs> so I think it'll be okay. Maybe. 
It's just a power user thing. Yeah, I just, I don't get the caching. I mean, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously for performance. I mean, everyone complains, oh, lightning's too slow, lightning's too slow. And Salesforce's like, oh, you think it's too slow? Well, fine. We'll just cache your record forever, and you can't ever <laughs> refresh it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think I would rather it be slow. Uh, oh, me too. If I have to yeah. choose, right, yeah. Um, I mean, I'd, I'll change a record, change a label, and I can't get the refresh. I can't validate it. Or the worst, the, the, the better scenario is the one you described, which is something happens in the system and they're not seeing the update. Or you add a page to the uh, field to the page layout because you need to see some field you're not seeing. And yeah. oftentimes with us, you just have to log out and then log back in to see the field. Yeah. Like getting it to refresh the, the page layout metadata that it's got cached is almost impossible. Yeah. Now you can delete unwanted packages and package versions now. Hopefully that'll save some versions out there for some people. You can't do it if it's been released. But if, right. you ha- if you created a package and you haven't released it yet, and maybe you're like, oh, crap, I forgot this, or I did it wrong, you can delete that package. But that's, it's unpublished, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so just that, so the super long list of packages that everyone has, who's an ISV? You yeah. can, if you did, the ones you didn't release, you can the just... The oopsies? Yeah, you, you can, can get, get rid, rid of the oopsies. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, does that, does that bother anyone to have those in the list, or is it, is it costing if you... You're, if you're really strict on your version numbering, version numbering scheme, maybe. Oh, you, can, you get the number back. I hope you get the number back. Okay. It didn't say that, but I'm assuming if you delete it, you can get the number back. That's also kind of scary, because I view version numbers and the binary that underlies them to be a kind of an immutable thing. I kind of don't like the idea that you can replace that. I heard assuming, so you know what that means. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that's us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so we've exhausted my uh, the highlights of that I had of the release notes. No. You do want to talk about patch support from, or is it just a? It's like yes, we have got it, and I don't. Know, I don't know patch about support. It. Yeah. HTTP patch request. Oh yes. I, that's one of those things. It's like holy shit. We didn't already have that. How did I? How how did that not wreck my entire life up, up until this point? <laughs> well, it, it kind of did. On depending on well, the service you were calling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that'll be welcome lots more api calls going out now yeah that, and that's so weird because it's i don't know why they didn't have again I'm, I'm glad you know don't get me wrong not looking to gift horse in the mouth here I'm, I'm glad we're getting it but i don't understand why we didn't have it before there's only like seven verbs and it can't be that big of a deal i don't know how old is java like java Oh, like, Java, mid-90s, right? It was one of the first kind so of... So, like, some, I think some underlying long-ago Java library didn't have... Oh. And it somehow made That's its way... That's when you stick in a shiv in there and make it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, they, maybe they should update their, their uh, Maven build file to get, bring in the more recent versions of those Java dependencies. <laughs> mm. No, because then you won't, be able to, you won't be able to get namespaces. It's give and take. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that's... I think that's a false dilemma, John. I can have both. Uh, some people are pretty excited about the in-app guidance stuff. I don't know much about that. Is that you can... Um, I think the, it's only custom objects. Is that, is that kind of like um, the, the field tooltips on help, on on, uh, on like a steroids or whatever? What are those called? It's more guided. Yeah. More like, guided? Um, yeah, I'm supposed to get on new and edit and clone pages. Okay. There's some semi-related stuff in Apex where you can actually use Apex to drive message notifications back to the UI as well. Oh, 
Oh, wow. I think you could always do it with flows or something, but now you can do it from Apex. You can say, right, put this message back in. So rather than using chat or something, you could post an alert from Apex. Did you have like Apex that sends the user messages, you know, like when they're right in the middle of like filling out a record, you can just send a message like, <laughs> you're doing it wrong? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quit that. Yeah. <laughs> just give up now. Yeah. Oh, I, I read that... Uh, they're finally deprecating HTML in labels. I didn't know you could still do HTML in anything. Yeah. What? Yeah. HTML the, in custom labels, field labels, what kind of something labels? like that. I I didn't make a note of it. It just popped in my head as something that I read, and I thought that I didn't think that was even a thing. Well, but. now you've just incited some panic in me. So let's go. Panic because you do that. I do HTML in some custom labels. Oh well, that's going bye bye. It'll just show the HTML now. The actual markup. If you're injecting JavaScript from your labels, which you probably shouldn't be doing, I guess that's going away. Well, I think they solved the JavaScript thing. I don't, I don't know about the HTML thing. Because we used to do section <laughs> headers with JavaScript <laughs> oh, yeah, injection scripts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So now you need to tell me how, what are the right words I need to Google. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, Just right. dropping the bomb and then... I saw that a long time ago. I'm just trying to, like, if something pops in my head, I'm like, oh, it must have been notable because I remembered it, even though I didn't make a note of it. Yeah, I think it's just, it's tough because, so we have some areas where if I had to have, like, if I had to have the component handle the markup pieces, then I have to have, like, five labels instead of, like, being able to have a label of two sentences with a word in the middle of each sentence that's bold. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, it's in there somewhere. If I find it, I'll send it to you if you don't find it first. Uh, the combo box and the uh, combo box getting the ability to add a description. So you should be able to add it. So in the option uh, object, so you have label and value today, you'll have also a description and that'll show up in your, your combo box. So you'll have the label and then right underneath it, you'll have the description. Uh, okay. What are, where can you use combo boxes at this point? Everywhere. Is it a custom thing? Yeah. I mean, or, cause, or does Salesforce like just standard natively use combo boxes? Well, Picklist is a combo box. Isn't it? I thought it was just a drop down. It's a combo box. You can type into it like random values. I didn't think that was. That's what it calls those. There's no drop down. It's just a combo box. Are we talking about like lookup pickers things? No. no. Okay. Just drop downs. I call those pick lists. Call them combo boxes. Okay. Oh. Either way, that's, that's interesting. You can add the, the description. Almost like, like a longer amount of text, I guess. Yeah, I guess you could have like a, the name of something and have a description for it. So, I don't know, banana. This banana's ripe or something. Yeah. Or there's quantity yeah. four of this banana left or something. Okay. I don't know. This is a delicious You can get fruit. creative with it. Yeah. <laughs> delicious all right, anyone else have any uh, favorites before we start the wrap-up process? The org shape beta is um, coming out, so you'll be able to get your orgs to your scratch orgs to mimic other orgs better. That's a good one. So um, I'm not sure I understand that one. Um, so I think it. I think it's like so. You know how with you know make a scratch org, you have to 
define all the features and every setting that's turned on and off yep. if you want it to be the same as another org. My understanding is instead of going through all that pain, you just point it at another org and say, make it configured the same way uh, this org is, yep. I think. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's what it is. You, you can. I'm not sure how you... I think, do you give it like an org ID and say, hey, make it look like this? I think, well, there's the settings show like you can connect the org ID to a dev hub. And I think it actually runs through an authentication. I haven't played with it much because I've only had it in pre-release. So it's a bit hard to really test it. People who are in the pilot would probably be screaming at us going, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I cared more about that when I was an ISV because I think that could be good for troubleshooting. Like you need to be able to re reproduce this org exactly as it is, have your app installed and then try to reproduce errors or run it through or test it in that scenario. Yeah. You would think though there would be some security behind that. Like you can't just point it at anyone's, yeah, at anyone's think, org. Yeah. When you give it an org ID, I think it says like, well, prove to me that you can actually log into this org. Ah. I think that's what it does. Yeah. That reminded me With, of another feature, but I, it's, I lost it as soon as we started talking. I thought it was a pretty big one. I don't know why I don't have it written down. Hmm. I have one that's it's not in the release notes, and Salesforce hasn't said anything about it, but it's in the metadata. Do you want to talk about, like, this is like pre-Safe Harbor. Yeah. A dynamic triggers or something like that. So there's like some sort of metadata indicating something that would run a generic trigger regardless of the object type that you could configure to run how you want. So sort of like the start of a trigger framework. Mm. But I mean, they've got, like, I don't think Salesforce, like this could disappear or they could completely change their mind. But it has all the parts of a trigger, like it has the trigger context and the thing that it's triggering on and what type of trigger it is but it's just a generic trigger or a dynamic trigger and it's driven by some sort of configuration. Wow. That would be powerful. Yeah. See, it's like the start of it. And then I guess because it's config driven, like if you arrive in the org and say, well, I want this, my trigger to also fire on some object that I never saw when I built the package. Yes. Then you could configure it in. Yep. Or you could have, long ago, I think, was it Java or something had something called aspect oriented programming where oh, you could yeah, sort of yeah. have like a, a cross cutting concern. Like yes. This thing must apply to everything regardless of what it is. Um, I don't know. I guess you do do like um, auditing or security type stuff. I don't know if that's a good idea in a trigger or not. Um, or you could use it to send a notification to a user every time somebody does something. But, yeah, that's kind of cool. It reminds me of like uh, if anyone did any good old Win32 programming, like the like the main Windows event loop. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had to, unless you worked with some framework. Well, what was the one ATL? Like you do ATL, but if you're just like straight up C, uh, and you have to, you know you have to provide a function, a reference to a function to Windows, and say, okay, this is my this is my call this this is my event loop, and literally. Every single thing that happened, someone touched a mouse, something, someone moved a mouse, like some event happened in the application, everything comes through that event loop. And then you have to dispatch out from there. Yeah, when to low level, a low level programming sucks, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I found it. It's uh, unpackaged metadata. 
What is that? Um, so you'll be able to specify within your, your, your I think it's your project file, uh, the same place where you can specify where your source directory is, you should be able to specify where your unpackaged metadata is. And so that whenever you create a scratch orgs, you can have it populate um, metadata in that scratch org that you don't want packaged. So, so whenever you, and ma mainly for testing, um, because they are going to start enforcing testing on, on, I didn't even know this was a thing, but apparently your unlocked packages don't have to conform to uh, code coverage requirements, but I think they are about to. I always thought it did, but apparently not. But yeah, so if you have things in your test list dependent, like maybe um, you use record types in opportunity record types in your, your application and you need to run tests against it to co cover all your code that actually relies on those record types. Well, you have to create record types in your scratch org, in your developer org or whatever. And, um, but that's not something you package. Don't, I thought you could, I thought you had to choose what things you wanted packaged though. That was. You can, but when you're in the world of source driven development and you, you make a bunch of changes to your org and you say, oh, well, pull my changes so I can get that into my package. Cause you know, some, you're working in tandem with a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. Inevitably those artifacts start coming in. Right. And if, if you don't have a way, I mean, sometimes they're needed because you need to put them in, you need them in source control so that someone can download that source control and create a scratch org with all the things configured and to be able to run those tests. So you need it. You're hearing that kind of. <laughs> what? So you need it. it. In right fact, now, we, we do it for um, our lead conversion package. We have, we have a dependency on opportunity record types and I have to go in and manually create or it's, it's in the source control, but I have to manually push the metadata from a separate directory. So all this would do would basically, I could point the project file to that metadata directory, do a push to sales to my scratch org, and it'll populate that stuff for me. Yeah, I actually don't, I, I don't know how you specify, can, can you in your source code, like which of all of the metadata that's in your source code, which of that actually is should be in the package or not? I don't. Mm -hmm. You can do that in the in the source. Well, in your project file, you tell it what your source directory is, and you can branch off in that source directory. You can. Yeah, but just because it's in source doesn't mean you've actually. You still have to add it. Any metadata you still have to add to the package. Yeah, this gets goes back to managing your source directories and everything, and it gets it gets really tedious. But you essentially have your default, and that's where the CLI puts everything. And what you could do if you really were were in a retentive about it is you would have everything go to default when you do your pull. But then you manually move everything to the other directories. So maybe you have a schema directory for all your S objects, and but you that's have just, a that's just like, module directory for that's like I don't know, that's like the the system higher uh, file system version of syntactic sugar. It actually has no real effect. It ju it's just it lays it out more nicely on your on your file system when you're developing. Well, it, it does. It doesn't affect what goes into the package. It, right, but then you can use a combination of force ignore and get ignore and things to kind of manage what ends up in your source control and what ends up in the package. The, the last part is what I don't understand. How do you specify what goes? What is actually going to be in the gets released in the package? Usually, I, I've, I've only ever done that through a UI. So I don't know if that's what I'm asking. Is there a way to do that in metadata to specify? Okay, yeah, I've I've got all this I've got all these custom fields and things, but only these seven custom fields go in my package. Like that has always been a manual UI thing for me, and, and I haven't done ISV stuff in a long time. So I'm just curious. Like, is there a can you have that in the metadata or in this in the source somehow? Like, yeah, I've got all this I've got all this stuff in my source, but 
only, you know, these specific items actually get packaged? Yes and no. I mean, you can do force ignore, but it's an all or nothing. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. Okay. <laughs> like I said, I mean, it's just not something I work with hardly ever, so I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I was just curious. But if you put it in source ignore, meaning I'm not going to deploy this in my package, force ignore is also the same thing that, that it uses to push things to your scratch org. So if you have a, everything in source control and you have your force ignore stuff and you say, okay, don't ignore everything that's in this one directory. It's my, I don't know, my testing, testing mock data directory. Mm-hmm. Everything else will get, it, it will ignore it from push and pull. Yeah. But in the still, scenario, still, that's a, still a different thing though, but. No, no, it, it's a, that controls what goes in your package. Whenever you call create package. Okay. This is in the CLI. So you basically have your directory, you have your project config, and you say, okay, I'm going to create a package, and here's my package JSON file that you're going to read, and it tells you exactly where the source is, what my dependencies are, and everything else, and it reads that and creates your package. <laughs> Part of the trouble with these kind of conversations is, you know, you've got NPM packages, which have nothing to do with the, <laughs> like, and, and now that I think about it, like, when I'm, at, when I'm talking about package, like, are you thinking I'm talking about an NPM package, or am I, you think I'm talking about a, an app exchange package? No, there's a package. <laughs> See? There's a package.xml, and there's a package.json, <laughs> there's a, there's all kind of packages files <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> packages right. everywhere and I, and I think on that note we should probably yeah. wrap up we are we have a dwindling audience we've uh yeah um any other final final favorites final comments uh, not for me yeah I'm good well thank right. go ahead Daniel oh, I'm good thanks yeah thanks yeah. it's an interesting conversation yeah thanks for joining us thanks everyone appreciate it these are always, uh, these have been fun. Well, Daniel's the last man standing. Do you want to sign us off? What if we're not done yet, John? Well, I'm just saying. Well, we got we have, it's time. We have, we have the, we got to set this up so that as soon as you're finished, you can do the, <laughs> we have the, the helicopter uh, world signal. Me. And you can't see that. He's not here. He, he doesn't see my, my floor producer signals <laughs> that I, that I give. Um, but anyway, um, so we have a, uh, a Slack channel or a Slack team. So all, all the listeners right now, dear listener, if you haven't joined our Slack team yet, you probably should check it out. Uh, it is at gooddayserpodcast.com and you click on community. Uh, otherwise, we have an email address where you can send us your uh, questions, comments, feedback, and that's info at gooddayserpodcast.com. Uh, also, I'm about to do another batch of stickers. We have lots of stickers. So please, everyone, if you don't have stickers yet, um, you know, you can put them on your computer, on your kids, on your car. I don't care. You're right. Um, so if you want a sticker or some stickers, um, you know, for, for you or your team or your user group, whatever, just uh, shoot us an email at that email address, info at gooddayserpodcast.com, and uh, just let me know how many you want, uh, and I need your address. That's a, a critical component that uh, is often left out. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, what else, John? Uh, the reviews. I mean, uh, leave us a review on all the, whatever your, you know, iTunes or uh, whatever. Those, those are all good, and the stars and the hearts and all the love and likes and it makes us feel good inside. Other than that, Daniel, would you like to take us out? Today, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.